Another day, another B2B marketer saying something is dead. Cold calling is dead. Outbound marketing is dead. Everything is dead. But it really just depends on who you ask. And PR isn't actually dead, but traditional PR is. And the best B2B marketers have completely changed their approach to PR in 2022. On today's episode of Demand Gen U, we'll explain how PR has changed, why the best B2B marketers are creating their own coverage, and what we've learned at Metadata from building our own media company in the last year. Demand Gen U is officially in session. Let's do it. So today we've got Justin Simon back. Justin, uh, ever since you pointed out my squeaky chair while we were doing the intros to this, I can't get it out of my head. So I promise I will have a can of WD-40 by the next time that we get together. So it's not nearly as bad. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) I knew it was bad, but when Justin told me on the mic that, hey, I can hear it, then I knew it was time. So hopefully it's not too loud for anybody who's listening today. But let's do it. I'm pretty excited about this one. This is a topic that you and I are pretty passionate about. And I think a lot of B2B marketers are starting to talk about this and hopefully changing their approach to PR. But this isn't going to be some episode where we just proclaim something is dead and and not share (laughs) why it's dead or how it's changed and how you can, you know, switch up your approach. So I'm looking forward to this. Absolutely. Same with me. So before we get started, let's just figure out what PR means to you. And I'll say what PR means to me, because I think everybody has their own definition and oftentimes thinks of uh, the old way of doing PR, which we'll get to here in a sec. Yeah, I think traditionally for me, PR is sort of a third party function to try and gain and build credibility in in amongst your audience. Um, you know, using traditionally for me, like using a third party agency to help try to drive that stuff and get placements and articles and, you know, links and all of that sort of stuff from a traditional standpoint um, of PR. But I think at its core, whether it's traditional or new PR, the goal is you're trying to build credibility, get attention, and get in front of your audience. All right. This feels like the scene in old school during the debate because I really have no rebuttal to that. I think that was perfect. I think for <laughs> yeah. me, it's it's really about getting in front of your audience at the end of the day and and getting attention. Now we'll get into getting attention versus earning attention here later on. And then the other big thing is third-party validation and just trying to get credibility and oftentimes trying to appear much larger than I think companies may be and just punch above their weight class. So I think we're pretty much on the same page there. Yeah, 100%. So for one of the conversation starters that we have listed here, it's kind of a, a, a... I'd say an ironic question that we ask now because the way that we get information today has completely changed from how we used to get information. So let's say 10 years ago, five to 10 years ago, it's hard to even remember that long ago. Like where would you get information when you were trying to learn about a company? Yeah, I mean, still you could go to their website, but if you'd have to know about that company to, to even want to go to their website, social was still pretty new if we're looking at 10 years ago. And I mean, that was 2011, which again, is hard to understand like how even social was. But when I think about to 2011 social, it was still people tweeting, you know, that they were mowing their yard and eating whatever for lunch. Uh, and I don't even know if Instagram was like fully on the scene yet. Um, 
even at that point. So, and you can just see how, how that stuff is, has evolved. But I think as far as learning about a, a company, it was probably like reading fast company and Forbes and, you know, a lot of like even traditional magazines and getting ranked on the 30 for 30, you know, 30 under 30 list, all of those sort of traditional type things where you were leveraging other media companies, other publications to help amplify you in the marketplace. That's kind of how I'm seeing it or remembering it. Yeah. And I think, you know, some of the things that you probably were thinking of too, maybe just didn't mention were analysts. Uh, I think press releases, I think events, I think a lot of things that B2B marketers themselves didn't own. They had to use other mediums to try and get their message out. And it was very rarely the website itself. Like, yes, we would go to websites, but for everything that wasn't on the website, you had to go elsewhere to figure out what they did or why it was important and how it could help you. And I think you also relied on how much buzz there was uh, in the coverage to see how well a company was either doing or not doing. And it's funny because I couldn't consume information in like any less similar of a way today than 10 years ago. Like it's, you know, not to sound like a boomer, but I barely do any of that stuff right now. And it's crazy. Yeah. I mean, you even got me thinking too, like when I first started at my very first company at, that was probably in the 2010, we had, um, we had multiple people whose roles were evangelist roles. That's what their title was. They, I mean, and this is very traditional in terms of like what Microsoft still has. I think they still have these roles where their job 90% of the time is traveling, meeting with people, meeting with analysts, meeting with uh, users, starting focus groups, which some of those things are still uh, valid today. But like to think of that job and that role and, and how it was done 10 years ago, it kind of just blows my mind. It's wild. Yeah, there's still a few, I'd say, big names that I've seen that are still doing that. It's usually for larger companies. Uh, ironically mm-hmm. enough, I think one of our competitors, their former CMO now has that title. Uh, I don't know how well it's working, but it's I kind of laugh and cringe a little bit every time that I see that title in B2B tech. <laughs> Amazing. So we talked about what PR means to us, uh, like what the point is, how information and where we get it has changed over the last 10 or so years, but let's get into the old way of doing PR a little bit. So let's expand on, you know, what we mean by doing the old way of PR. Let me get your take first. Yeah, I think at its most basic form, you are solely relying on people outside of your org to pump up you in your company. Um, if you think about traditional ways of using media there was there was really no way unless you published your own magazine or had your own blog that became super popular and people flocked to it and understood and there were companies who were able to do that early on um but outside of that you were solely reliant on other people to help prop prop up your brand because there was no social media there was no personal brand there was no um you know ability for you to make noise truly in the marketplace without the assistance of these other sort of third parties. Yeah. And I think two things come to mind for me right away. The first being it it used to be very expensive 
a lot of it was pay to play and working with, you know, big time PR agencies that have really solid networks and can get you that coverage. That stuff is wildly expensive and many startups, especially us with where we are right now, we just don't have that budget. So you can't always resort to using stuff like that. So I think cost definitely comes into play and how expensive the old way of doing good PR was. And then the other way that I was thinking about it was who controls the narrative. So oftentimes when you're pitching, you know, a publication or working with a PR agency, you can do everything under the sun to try and pitch them your exact narrative of what you want them to say. And very, very rarely have I seen that what you're pitching is what ends up in whatever publication, newspaper, you know, video, podcast, you name it, actually is. So it's tough because you want that consistency of your narrative and the message, you know, permeating from every single one of your channels. And it can sound one way on your website and it can sound slightly different or unfortunately completely different when you're working with PR. And it's confusing for people who are seeing that message. It's like, wait, I thought you guys did this and now I'm hearing this. And you don't want to make it any more difficult on your audience when they're trying to figure out you know, what you can do and how you can help them. Totally. And I think one of the reasons, one of the reasons it doesn't work either is that the way people, um, gain trust and and gain sort of, um, see you as an authority has changed. So now if you were to throw out nothing but press releases, um, you know, I think consumers, me as a consumer, I'm just not interested. Like that's not how I I almost see that in the opposite way of like, oh, like I don't really trust that. Like that's, you know, PR has is like you're putting spin on it. You're, you know, you're putting a really nice polish on whatever it is that's really going on. It's it's PR is almost um, for me like the anti-authentic way of doing something. And so I think that's why today it doesn't work because the market has shifted to where, you know, everything is driving toward a really the companies who are doing uh, marketing and probably PR quote unquote right now really really well are the people who are doing that in an authentic way and who are connecting with their audience being more raw being more transparent being and traditional PR is the exact opposite of that it's buttoned up it's tight it's everything's clean everything every every word in that press release has been looked at and studied uh, and it's just the complete opposite of what happens now. All right, let's rant on press releases for a second. And I'm going to start with a caveat of if you look at the metadata website, you will see press releases. If Jason were on this episode, I would tell this to him right now. Uh, If he listens to this episode, he will hear (laughs) what I'm about to say. I had to get him off of the press release kick when I first started. And I think everything that we did, he defaulted to, let's do a press release for it. And I think when you're at a seed stage or series a company is that the ideal you know medium to get this news out absolutely not but i think it jason had to learn that over time and also that every single thing that we did didn't really warrant a press release so i think we used to use press releases way more as a crutch when we didn't have a lot of the things that we're going to talk about here in a sec stood up and running so i can't fault him for that i am very very thankful that It took a little longer than I would have liked, but we have gotten to this point where he's asking for press releases uh, less frequently uh, compared to what it used to be. And then the way that they're written, 
we just did a press release for our B round announcement. And again, yes, we did the press release. It was not the focus of the announcement, but you still have to play the game to some degree. How are those things written? Well, you make it sound as best as you possibly can. You stretch it as far as you possibly can. You bump up the numbers as far as you possibly can. Occasionally, you have to run it past some other group, whether it's your investors or uh, your CEO or whoever it may be, and they dial it back a little bit. And it just creates this perfect image of what's going on behind the scenes. It is not perfect behind the scenes here. So why would we want to try and dupe our audience at the end of the day to say that, hey, this is all sun and rainbows and unicorns and all that shit like it it's not so i'm just very skeptical when i see press releases because you and i both know how they're always written yeah and i think i I love the point of of talking about like yep we still do press releases from time to time i think for anybody listening who maybe that's still a, a really strong arm of what they're doing from the marketing standpoint like all the stuff we talk about on this show um i think it's like baby steps for you in that arena right like it did take, like you had said for us, like, yep, we're still working through that and what that looks like. At the last company I was at, we like made the initiative where it was like, we are no longer doing any press releases, PR, we're cutting our budget, we're doing that. We had PR agencies in multiple countries. We cut those back. And I'm pretty sure within three months, I got asked, like, hey, where's pre- we're, we're going to do this press release for this product release, right? And it's just like, well, wait a second, I thought we wanted to not do those things anymore. So, it's a hard habit to break when you're in those types of things, whether it's, you know, doing big events uh, in person and sponsoring those or doing like some of those tried and true tactics are, are hard to break uh, from time to time. So. So before we get into the next part, I've got one question that's kind of off script until that person asked you where the press releases three months later, did you really notice any drop in <laughs> like no, what you would have no. expected to see. That's that, crazy. No, and that's what's funny is and and so and up until the point of because I mean, like you said, p- traditional PR can be very expensive when you're hiring these agents. Like if nobody's looked into it, it can be very, very like thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars um, in your budget. A month, so, yeah, a month, yes, a month, <laughs> yes, absolutely. Now times that by X amount of countries that we're doing, it's like it gets crazy. So we literally had to justify and try to try to look up all the numbers, figuring out like, uh, and we'll talk about this later in terms of like maybe some measurement stuff, but like we couldn't even make a case to keep it. Like there was no way of like, you know, trying to look at like brand lift or like how many people have looked up our, you know, uh, brand terms and whatever. And it's like, there's no correlation between doing this press release and any sort of brand lift. And so it was like, the idea of trying to do that was uh, was insane, and when it was the, the case to be made, was very easy to say, "Yeah, we need to pause this." Which for me, uh, you know, as a content person like that, because like I said, it's just the least some of the least valuable content for the time and the ROI that you're going to spend, especially like legit money spend on some of these things. The ROI just typically isn't there anymore. It's crazy. Which is, which is crazy. So, uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm interested, you know, we've, we've talked about the, the bad way or the, maybe the traditional way that you don't want to necessarily lean into anymore. So what, what are some ways that you think we should be moving? What are ways that we're kind of going through and and adjusting now that we've gotten off the press release train, uh, maybe for the last eight months, uh, 
you know, and, and, and that really hasn't been a key part of what we're doing, even though we do do them, it's not a key part of what we're doing. So what would you say, how should companies be moving forward? So I'm going to get into a little story time here. And it is a story about when I was putting this outline together yesterday morning. So as I was going through it and trying to just get all my thoughts in, in order, I found a, I don't even know if LinkedIn still does this anymore, but it's those like LinkedIn pulse articles or whatever the feature is now, where it's like your own kind of blog, if you will, but it's attached to your LinkedIn profile. And it was titled something like traditional PR is dead. And who was it written by? It was written by Dave Gerhardt. And when was it published? It was published in 2016. And everything that was listed there still like I would say 98 to 99% of it still holds true today. And I'll get into what that means. But the reason why I say this is he, uh, I don't want to say pioneer, but like they kind of charted this new territory of how do you do PR for a B2B SaaS company and, and do it using this new way. And the approach hasn't really changed, but very few companies are willing to commit to that approach, are in a place where they can get sign off from their CEO or their VP of marketing to take that approach. And it's it's not that it's easy. It's hard to stay committed to it and to consistently do this. But like if you do it well, the approach is out there. Like you just have to figure out how it works for your company and you have to commit to doing it and you have to show up regularly and you have to keep doing things consistently. So what are those things? I think the first thing is actually having something to say. And when I say that, I mean a narrative. So what is the point of view that you are trying to get out into the market and how can that point of view help earn the attention of your audience, not just get the attention? Because I think the problem with old PR is a shotgun approach to whatever bad messaging you have or bad story or even just no story is blasting that out into the market and hoping that some people are going to take notice or, or find that interesting. So the first thing is really having a, a strong narrative and a point of view and having something to say. Then the second thing is, well, how do you get that narrative out into the market? Whether it's podcasting, which I think is probably the, the biggest driver of this for us, whether it's organic social, whether it's using your own employees to get out there and build their own personal brands, whether it's the founder brand. There are so many cost-effective ways of doing this now where you can get in front of your audience, ideally at as little of a cost as possible because social media is really free at the end of the day. And then two, you know, you don't have to rely on someone else to shape that message for you. Like you can go and consistently get that message and that narrative out into the market and just lead with expertise and show people that you don't need to wait for a publisher or a PR agency or some media publication to say metadata you know, helps B2B marketers. We're just going to show you how we help B2B marketers and we're going to lead with that expertise. So what do you think is, in that case, what do you think's holding people back from doing this? Is there... You know what you had mentioned? Maybe it's the CEO. Is it? Yeah, I think it's. I think it's two things. I think it's one getting the CEO and the executive team, and really the if the CMO or marketing leader is not on board. It's getting them comfortable with it because it is new and it is different. I think the best way to do that is to show examples of what good looks like. Because I've found, you know, definitely 
here at my last two companies, whenever you show executives, hey, this is what best in class looks like, very rarely do they say, eh, I don't want that. It's like once they see that, it's like, yes, I want that. So I would go find, you know, the examples of Drift doing it, Gong doing it, other companies that I admire and go show them, hey, this is what good looks like. And that's a very easy way to get them to sign off on it. And then the second thing, which I think is probably the most important, aside from getting sign off, uh, is just having something worthwhile to say. Like it's coming up with that narrative. It's coming up with something that's truly differentiated and unique in the market. And that part is really hard. So you have to figure out who your audience is, what matters to them. It's really just good marketing at the end of the day, but then you have to figure out that narrative and how to push that consistently every week, every month, every year. And that's the hard part that I think a lot of companies don't have figured out. Now, we have just gone through this whole narrative exercise. I think we're giving it a really solid college try right now. Is that narrative perfect? Probably not. Is it good enough for now? I sure as hell hope so, but we will see how well this works and how we need to adjust it over time. Yeah, having an opinion as a company, as an organization, and especially from a marketing perspective is massive. And I think it's scary to have an opinion because even in life, because when you have an opinion, you're going to alienate somebody. And and as a, as a company and as a marketing team, the last thing that you feel like you want to do is alienate somebody and, 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 and not say you're for the the audience, right? Like, oh, I really want to, we just at our core really want to be for everybody. Um, and so I think that's what holds people back. I know for me, like that's, that's a struggle that I've had to deal with at previous companies. And even, you know, it's a, it's just a, it's hard to do, right. It's hard to have an opinion, um, because you know, you want to be, you want to be right for everybody. Um, but unless you actually have that point of view, take that stance, understand from a culture as a company culture and as a marketing team, like this is where we're planning our flag. This is what we believe is true. Um, you're just going to sound like everybody else and it's going to be really, really hard to stand out. And it's, you know, you're going to be focused on what your competitors are saying and, Oh, what are they doing? And you know, how should, how do we counter what they're talking about? Um, so when you are, when you're truly understanding what your point of view is, what your opinion is, you can just, you know, go whole, um, in on that and not really worry about the rest of what's going on out there. Cause you're, you're, you believe in what you're saying. I dig it. I think the the other thing that makes it difficult, and I'll tease this out a little bit before we get into Q&A because I know somebody submitted a question on this, is measurement. And I think measurement makes executives very uncomfortable about this because it is so much easier to say, hey, we got a mention in the Wall Street Journal or we got a mention in TechCrunch and here's you know the article and here's the readership and here's the reach and all that stuff. Um, with the new way of doing PR, it's not always quantifiable. You have to kind of, you know, trust qualitative feedback and 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 see who's replying to LinkedIn messages, who's you know commenting on LinkedIn posts, who's replying to the emails that you're sending out. Is that stuff happening more frequently than not? Is it happening from the right people? And like, it's a really tough sell. And I think that's something we admittedly struggled with with Gill at first too, because he's an engineer you know, at his core, he wants to quantify everything. So telling an engineer turned marketer turned CEO that, Hey, we can't quantify everything. You have to trust us here. That is a huge leap. And we stumbled a bit when we first tried to do that with him. Yeah, I, I, I totally believe that. Um, 
So I I want to I want to get into a little bit of of really practical what we're doing here at metadata and really kind of like pull the curtain back because um, you touched on some of the things mm-hmm. um, you know like this podcast and other stuff that we're doing but I really want to deep dive and and help people figure out now that we're not focusing on this like what are we doing like even on like a weekly basis a monthly basis what are we doing to actually like move the needle. Um, what do we do as an org to try to pull those people together, um, and, and do PR differently? Yep. So I'm writing some notes down because this is a good question that I was kind of prepared to answer, but I'll hopefully give you a good answer here. So I think a couple things, I think the first thing is, uh, we can start with the podcast. So the podcast for us really is a pillar of that. And what we are trying to do by way of this podcast is lead with expertise so that you can see and learn from us firsthand and over time see that we're the the experts and I hate calling ourselves experts because we're not we're just you know <laughs> we learn and we share what we're learning figuring, uh, so it, figuring we're, out with everybody we're else figuring exactly. out with everybody else so like I, I we're not, not gurus we're not you know experts any of that but we're just leading with expertise and we're showing you as opposed to just saying hey we are the experts like you would in a press release and, you know, we're, I forget how many episodes in right now, but it's gotten better over time. The, the uptick in feedback that we've been getting from people listening to the episodes, from replying to our emails, like all that stuff, like those are the leading indicators that, that show us, Hey, we're headed in the right direction. Now we'll have to see how the podcast evolves over time and the types of topics that we're, you know, recording episodes on with this new narrative. But like, there's a lot of good that's, that's coming from this right now. Now, for us, is it about, and I'll flip it back to you here in a second, is it really about people listening to the podcast at the end of the day? I would say no, as long as you're doing all the other things that that you are doing and leading right now to then take this message and get it out into all the other channels that you used to have to rely on press releases or traditional PR to do. Yeah, um, I think podcast feeds do matter because I think where and that and that's some of the change too is you know even for us um, you know our content strategy is is led by a podcast it's not led by a blog you know even that is an interesting flip for maybe some some people listening um, so we drive everything at at a, at a core level um, every single week through the podcast and then everything else comes off of that so but the idea behind that is people are listening on Apple and Spotify to not only this show, but a bunch of other shows and music and other things. They're on YouTube. We post these videos on YouTube. We post shorter versions on YouTube because that's where people are at. You're on your phone. You're checking out stuff. You're searching things. You're trying to figure out how to do uh, better marketing that way. So we want to show up in those feeds. And then people are on social. So we post the, we get a bunch of clips put for every single uh, episode and we post those out not necessarily even with the idea that somebody's going to even watch that whole minute clip but they're going to see mark's face jason's face they're going to hear us they're going to hear um, what we have and i think that's a huge differentiator um, a lot of I've, I've been in multiple conversations this year with other companies and they ask like oh i know i need to do a podcast like why is everybody saying i need to do a podcast um, and it's not that you have to do a podcast but the effort it takes to to put in versus the ROI you get on the backside of, you know, being able to show up and like Mark said, have your face, your voice in an authentic way, um, being shown to your audience 
every single week, sometimes multiple times a week. Um, that's really, really hard to, uh, to beat right now. You know, I think, uh, because what it does is it builds that instant connection with your, with you and your audience as a, as a listener. I know the podcast that I listen to, like, I feel like if I saw that person on the street, even, you know, the host of the show, if I never had met them, I'd feel like I knew them, yeah. uh, because I, I listen to their voice and watch them on video and see them. And it would be like, there's a really you know, intimate connection that can happen through these mediums that would never, ever, ever happen in a traditional sort of PR or even, even a traditional blog post. I dig it. Now, I think the, the big, I'd say, takeaway from our approach here to the new way of doing PR is really leading with, with expertise through content. If I had to simplify it really quickly. So we've got the podcasting side of it. I think the other thing that we're really trying to work on is our own original research and being the publisher around that original research instead of you know, relying on analysts and other outlets to share that research uh, for us. And we re- released our benchmark report last year. We're working on it right now and we'll have it out soon enough. But I think leading with that type of original research and, and publishing that and owning that and cutting it up into the two million ways that I know you're going to do (laughs) once we have that bad boy ready. Like that is another way of doing, you know, the new PR and being the publisher and controlling that message and just getting it out there. Yep. It's It's just a different way. You're adding the different layers of expertise and then you are, this gets thrown out a lot. I know we even say it in here, like becoming that media company. I, I don't think there are very many companies that are actually becoming a media company successfully yet, but that's a piece of it where you are true. It goes back to the, the original part of this. You are owning your own narrative and you are owning your own um, sort of sphere of influence. And so, yeah, original research, surveys, data, like all of that stuff just layers on to another level of you being able to own the expertise own the data and, and share that out. And then the last thing when it comes to content, cause I kind of want to riff on this for a bit is, you know, press conferences. I had never heard of a B2B company doing a press conference up until we did it a little less than a month ago. So that was our own attempt at trying to be the publisher, doing something different and getting the message out there in a, in a slightly unique format. So did it work? I think people thought it was different and I think, it was a learning experience for us. And I think we'll probably do it again. How well do we know it worked? The honest answer is I don't think we truly know just yet, but there were some takeaways uh, that we, you know, got from that press conference and, you know, what we did not want to do is a bait and switch of just calling it a press conference when it really was a webinar. And we want to make sure that whenever we do stuff like that in the future, when we're trying to be that, that publisher, that it comes across in that same authentic way. Yep. And the, Totally agree. Yeah, you want to be authentic um, in all that stuff. And I think the last thing I'll say on this in terms of one thing that we're doing, and I think doing pretty well, is um, employee advocacy and having our employees essentially be, you know, brand advocates um, on social and, and really help drive the authenticity of the brand through their own sort of personal brands. Um, and, and I think the interesting part at metadata is we, we do encourage sharing. We encourage, uh, people to share our content, obviously, but also we encourage people to, you know, build their own brands and build their own thing. And, you know, 
the funny thing about that is that actually works. Uh, I think if there's companies out, I mean, I just had a guy request a demo from our exact ICP 20 minutes before we started recording by a LinkedIn DM to me. It works. You just have to do it consistently. (laughs) Totally. And I I mean, I I just, you know, just saw yesterday, uh, you know, some, something where somebody had said like, yeah, like I'm I'm changing how we're doing content based on what you're, you know, what you've been posting. And, you know, if, if I ever need metadata, I'm going to (laughs) come, you know, I'm going to come over and and get it. Like it matters, uh, in a, in a, in a way where, getting and allowing the freedom of your employees to be able to share what they are doing in their role, not necessarily share like, Hey, here's our new thing. Here's our new, you know, whatever our blog post, like that stuff is okay. It's better than nothing, but really leaning in and allowing your employees to share what's on their mind. Um, that, that can be a huge driver. It might not, it might not make a huge difference like that day or that week, but over time, consist- consistently, like it makes a massive difference. I should know this. Have we done an episode on employee advocacy yet? Because we definitely should. Okay. No. Right. Yeah. 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 Soon. Add it to the list. Yeah. <laughs> and I think um, on the employee advocacy note, there's that, and then there's this isn't a DG book plug because he doesn't need it. I think he sold enough books at this point. Uh, we love him, but uh, is like the founder story, and I think working with your founder to get them out there, position them as the leader, as the expert, you know, making them more accessible and and just showing the real person that they are. Like that's another way of doing this. And that's something that I won't share too many details yet, but you'll start to see more from us. Uh, and we've got something in the works and I know we're really excited about that, but it's all about just positioning your company and your people as, you know, like the leaders and, and, and leading with expertise by showing people that expertise and sharing that expertise, not telling them that you're an expert, but actually consistently doing that over time because it's so easy just to blast out a press release and say, you know, we're the number one rated demand generation platform, yada, yada, yada. That means nothing to me and it means nothing to our audience. So you just have to show up consistently and give a lot of value away. Yeah. And, and it, I mean, all that stuff ties in, it goes right back to the podcasting, the video, the advocacy, the, you know, founder brand stuff, all of that ties in because it, what it does is it say, I don't want to buy metadata. I want to buy into Mark and Jason and Gil. And you know what I mean? I want to buy into that, you know, culture. I want to buy into that whole system. I want to, you know, that, that company. It's why, it's why Apple succeeds so well. You know, you're not buying a laptop, you're buying a whole world within that, you know, sort of Apple environment that, you know, when you open it, I mean, they, they're the experts at it, right? Like when you open that box, you feel a certain way, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you know, and they've thought about it from that standpoint. So I think like, Oh yeah. On the, on the personal side, it's the exact same thing where it's like, I don't want to just buy into a company. I want to buy into, Oh, I, I like that. I like that guy that I follow on LinkedIn. I like, you know, I like her. I like what she has to say. I'm interested in more about their company. You know, that is, is how, you know, real traction gets made right now. So, Let's get into some of the questions because I know we're getting a little long on time here, although I could talk about this all day with you. Uh, the first thing is is this, and we kind of hinted at it earlier. It's everyone's saying become the media company. And are we there yet? No, confidently we're not there yet. Is that what we're actively working towards and is our North Star? 110%. So we are trying to become the media company and I think are taking some really good first steps. But 
for me, this has been a huge learning experience. And I've learned a ton from you. Who are some of the companies that you think are doing this well? And like, where are you getting inspiration from? Because some of the companies that you first shared with me, I had no idea who they were. And I check their site and check their content out all the time now. Yeah, I mean, two, somebody was just asking me this the other day. Two that I that I two companies that I really like what they're doing right now. I love what ProfitWell is doing. Um, you know, I think they've got a really nice mix of shows. They lean in as the expert. Um, they've built out their own legit media arm. Uh, they call it Recur. Um, so check out ProfitWell if you're looking for inspiration in terms of how they're doing it. Um, if you really break it down, it's not complicated and it's not complex a lot of their shows are what you would sort of consider a traditional um sort of interview or back and forth show um but they build really cool sets they've got you know really cool ideas the angles are interesting um and they just talk about different uh different areas of the company um and and different things that resonate with their audience so i think that's one because they're doing multiple shows and multiple streams at once the other one that i i really just like what they do because i think they're super authentic and and they're doing it the right way is is wistia and i think wistia you know uh chris savage their ceo he like leans into it he hosted one of the shows they were doing um and, and they've really built a culture around video helping people get better at video um and doing the same the same thing as is what profit well is on which is sort of trying to build out a media arm they have a whole separate um almost media company outside of their traditional marketing team which is super interesting like just the way they've structured their team um is super cool so i, I like what they're doing and then where where i get in inspiration even outside of companies is i look at um honestly, like individual creators. Uh, I, I love to look at individual creators or individual brands. Like there's certain YouTube channels. Like I, I joke about it all the time. <laughs> you send me like, these all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I watch like golf videos and car videos on YouTube and like what, you know, how they create shows and create content when they're not selling products is super interesting to me because that's what I want to be able to do. I want to create content that's interesting, helpful, useful, uh, entertaining, um, and not think about it as like, I'm working at a company selling a product. I want to be able to almost like, man, I would pay to watch this. Yeah. You mentioned the, the individual creators and I think you've kind of turned me onto this, but I've found myself paying more and more attention to individual creators and what they're doing and perfect example and probably a perfect, uh, perfectly polarizing example is Gary V at the end of the day. I mean, some people love him. Some people absolutely hate him. But I think when you look at how he is approaching like the new way of, of PR and the way that he creates content and the variety of the content and the formats and how consistently he's publishing, like you told me, everybody doesn't have this luxury, but his team is enormous. That's doing that, right? Yeah, his, I mean, his individual brand, I think at one point I heard it was like 20 some odd people, but it might even be more than that. Like he's got a ton of people that are just working on that brand. So he's got a sub, yeah. you know, company almost that's just focused on putting out content. Yeah, it's amazing. But yeah, I think outside of Gary Vee, I mean, there's definitely some creators on LinkedIn. Like I look at Justin Welsh all the time and everything that he's doing and seeing, you know, whether it's the videos or the courses or, or really anything that, that gives value away and then positions that person as the expert without them calling themselves the expert. Like that's kind of the name of the game. Yep. Totally is. Sweet. All right. Let's get into the second question. 
So I kind of alluded to this earlier on, but I think one of the challenges of, of the new way of PR is, is measurement. So how does measurement play into this? Like, how do you know it's working or not working? Yeah, measurement is tough. <laughs> uh, but I think like, I, I mean, honestly, though, measurement was tough for traditional PR. Like I said, like at the last company I had to had we, we spent probably a good two months like trying to dig through the data and we bought really big, expensive P. I mean, really expensive PR software. Oh, I don't God. know, like the, the hint here, maybe everything around traditional PR is super expensive. Uh, <laughs> but like, uh, you know, just really expensive stuff to try to track and, and look at all these things. And at the end of the day, we still like leadership still had questions that we weren't able to answer. So, um, you know, I, th- I think when you're thinking about PR brand, all that sort of stuff, there isn't this really defined like metric. It's not Google ads. It's not SEO. It's not performance marketing. So you really have to think about it in a different way. Um, I know for me, and, and I'll let you you talk about it too. But for me, it, it just comes down to a lot more of the qualitative. Um, yep. You know, what are we hearing? What are we seeing? You know, even for like a podcast is a great example. Like, yep, we check the metrics, we see what the episodes are doing, we you know check and see growth, uh, engagement, all that type of stuff. But I mean, at the end of the day, it's the DM that you get on LinkedIn. It's the you know the the comment of somebody posting about the show that you've never interacted with, and you're like, holy smoke! Like they're listening to this. Show. Like it's it's super cool to see. So I think like sharing that stuff um, is super helpful too. Yeah, I would say we try to quantify as much as we can, and then we fill in the gaps with like qualitative things that we can can share. So from a quantitative perspective, like looking at increase in direct and organic traffic, you know, year over year, once you get a lot of these initiatives kicked off, like that's a, a great thing to look at. And then uh, the podcast metrics that you had mentioned. And then when it comes to content, like outside of the qualitative things, so replies to emails, LinkedIn posts, uh, DMs on LinkedIn. Like the other thing that we do is we set up trackers in Gong to look for individual employees' names, uh, the name of the podcast, like other things that I probably won't give too much away, but like setting up the trackers themselves in Gong. And you can see with pretty you know, reasonable accuracy how often that's coming up, who's mentioning it, are they from the right accounts? Are they the right titles? Is it happening more frequently? And like, you can kind of paint the whole imperfect picture when you blend those two together, but uh, it's not, I would say that the measurement is still fuzzy from the old way and the new way. I think for the new way, it just requires you to look at a bunch of different things. Whereas the old way was, hey, we had 10 mentions of this press release uh, or this publication, and this is the reach or readership of that particular publication. And here's how authoritative they are. And that's it. So like, yeah, you could show measurement, but at the end of the day, it's like, what does this mean? Does this mean anything? Like, no, like it, it doesn't matter. So yeah, it's, it's imperfect, but I think you can blend the two together and you can start to build trust in the company and get more sign off to, to keep working on that stuff. Yeah. And, and real quick to, to kind of wrap on that, I think especially when you're starting out and trying to like uh, you know, make the case to start a podcast or make the case to try to do some advocacy stuff. Um, you know, setting that expectation with whether it's you're maybe a director, you want to get it approved by your CMO or you're, you know, trying to get, get this approved by the CEO, et cetera, like really level set what the expectations are for these things. 
so that when they ask for particular metrics um, and you were never able to provide those to begin with, you don't find yourself uh, trying to, you know, go back and, uh, and figure out how to make that work. Yeah, you absolutely have to have that conversation from the get-go or else it's uh, <laughs> the conversation doesn't go well when you No, <laughs> it only that. gets harder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it only gets harder. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, amazing. I think we're running a little bit long here. We could talk for hours on this, but awesome having you on again, Justin. Make sure that you're subscribing to Demand Gen U. You know where to find us and keep sending topics for us to record on future episodes. It's been awesome. Thanks, Justin. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Demand Gen U. If you want to hear more, make sure to subscribe to get future episodes. You can also submit a specific topic you want us to talk about by DMing us on LinkedIn. If you like the show or want to share feedback, please leave us a review. It'll help us keep improving and get the word out to other marketers just like you. This podcast is brought to you by Metadata, the first demand generation platform that launches paid campaigns that self-optimize to revenue. If you're looking for a tool that makes it easier for you to build audiences, launch paid campaigns, and experiment at scale, you'll love Metadata. B2B marketers at Zoom, Okta, and ThoughtSpot use Metadata to automate the time-consuming parts of running paid campaigns so they can focus on the things that matter.